facing a mountain like that. Open your Bibles tonight to Ephesians, again, chapter number 5. I don't know about anybody else but myself, but in regards to the book of Ephesians, I, I love this book so much, and there's so much here and so much more that could be said. But the wonderful thing about the book of Ephesians is that you don't have to study it so as to tie everything together. The, uh, the great thing about it is, you know, each message is sort of a standalone message. If that's all you had and it was disconnected from last week or from next week, that, you know, that'd be all right because uh, there's just something special about every single verse as far as I'm concerned. And it deals with so many different things uh, here in just a few weeks. We'll be talking about the family, and then we're going to go from there to spiritual warfare. And sometimes those two things tie right in together, by the way. So we've got a, we've got a long ways to go. But here in chapter number five, I, I was just sitting there thinking about where we've been so far in this chapter. And, uh, you know, as I look at this, I look at verse 1, and I see that we are to, you could say, according to that, we're to, we're to walk in the line or walk the line uh, of likeness of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, walk in likeness of Christ. But in verse number 2, notice, we're to walk in love. Uh, he says in, in verse number 2 that we're to walk in love. Then this morning uh, we talked about walking in the light. Uh, so we are to walk in the likeness of the Lord. We're to walk in love. We're to walk in the light. But tonight we're going to be speaking about walking wisely. Walking wisely. Verse 15, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Most Hindus desire to visit the city of, uh, is it Banaras? Is that, how do you say that? Anybody, some of you historians, whatever their holy city is, it's something like that. I, I think the modern name is different from that. But uh, anyway, uh, all of them desire to go there at least one time in their lifetime because it's a holy city. It's said to have 1,500 temples, and the road that circles the city is 36 miles long, and so they consider it a really holy thing to walk all the way around the city. Now, there are other religions that have their religious pilgrimages as well. In other words, their special places to visit, all in an effort to please their gods. But for the Christian, it's how you walk, not where you walk. It's how we walk, not a certain geographical location. So, here in our text, we see in verse 15 that we are to call to walk wisely. And then we see the cause for doing so in verse 16, and then we see the course that we must take in order to do that. So the Bible has a lot to say about the believer's walk, and by that I mean his manner of life. The sad thing is most people uh, don't listen. 
Don't pay any attention to what God says. We live in a world that is, could be characterized by these three words. It is depraved, it is deceptive, and it's dangerous. And if you want to add something, you could say it's headed for destruction. That characterizes the world that we live in ever since Adam fell. From that time, we've lived in a world of depravity. Not only are we morally depraved, but we are also blinded. That is, we are deceived, and the result of that is this is a dangerous world to live in. We better be careful how we walk. And here he says, walk in wisdom. Now, I want you to notice what we must do in order to walk in wisdom. In verse number 15, notice if we're going to walk in wisdom, we have to be careful in our orientation. Notice the word circumspectly here. That's the word that Paul is using to describe how we are to walk. That word means accurately or exactly, or in the right way. And, and notice that he, he includes the word see, and that word see is not talking about something that's just, you know, an occasional glance or just a little bit of attention, but it means to look, to behold, to beware. In other words, he's telling us that we're to make every effort to walk in exactness, that is, circumspectly. Uh, picture, uh, picture somebody, maybe a man on a tightrope. Uh, no better than that, picture yourself on a tightrope. Uh, yeah, yeah. Think about yourself. No net. Here you are, way up there on that tightrope. And uh, let's say you've got, let, let's make it easy. You've got ten foot to go across this hundred foot gorge. Just ten foot cable stretch there. I want to tell you what you would be very careful concerning where you step. I mean, you wouldn't just say, you know, I'll put this foot down here and one down over here. I mean, you're going to be exact. You're going to be like a, you've seen a cat going along a picket fence, you know, and I, everything is just precise and exact. And that describes exactly what Paul is talking about by this word circumspectly. We are to walk in exactness. We are to be careful. That is, on guard all of the time. So, if we're going to do that, if we're going to walk worthy, we have to do what he tells us in chapter 4 and verse number 1. And notice what he says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you, notice, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. So if I'm going to walk wisely, then I must walk worthy of the vocation. Now, fools do exactly the opposite of that. They pay no attention to what God requires. They have no concern for what God demands. And they go through life staggering like a drunk man. I mean, they go through life without any consideration for what they're going to do next. Turn over in your Bibles, if you would, please, to the book of Proverbs, chapter number 4. There's a couple of sections here that uh, we would do well to pay a lot of attention to. Fools do not consider the consequences of their actions. In other words, they just run headlong into trouble. And I'll bet, chances are good, that all of us have been guilty at some time or another of doing something that later on caused us to say to ourselves, how could I have been so stupid? It'd be interesting if we made a list, wouldn't it? 
I mean, you know, and just made a big list and put it up on the projecting screen, you know, where everybody could. The stupidest thing I ever did. That, that'd make an interesting fellowship meeting. Maybe we ought to do that some Saturday morning, fellas. The stupidest thing I ever did. <laughs> I bet somebody would get themselves in trouble trying to be cute, you know it? Uh, yeah, come up with some... Uh, uh, saying something about, you know, your marriage or something like that, and you, somebody's going to tell on you. But, but, hey, listen, the fact of the matter is we've all done some really dumb things. I, I, you know, I can stand up here and name a lot of things I'm not going to mention. I remember, and I told the story about, you know, we was building Highway uh, 65 going from Springfield all the way down to, uh, to Branson. And uh, so uh, in, in the evening they had, you know, the big... Uh, uh, oh my! I went, I went brain dead. The big deal with the cable. Uh, help me, a train, a train sitting out there, and that cable. And we had a contest, see who go the highest climbing up that cable. Well, you know that's pretty dumb when you exhaust all of your energy going up the cable, and you got to come back down. And, and I want to tell you what I when I came down, my hands were were, were bleeding, and, and just really a dumb thing to do. No doubt all of you have done exactly that. That Listen, we're foolish sometimes. Now, that doesn't mean that you're a fool, but we always do, all do some foolish things. But fools, that's, that's their regular way of life. They go through life just doing dumb things without ever thinking about the consequences. Now, notice here in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Put away from thee a froward mouth and perverse lips, but far from thee. Let thine eyes look right on, and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. Now, notice this next word, ponder. That means to weigh. Ponder the path of thy feet, and let all of thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand, nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. That is, don't veer off to the right or the left. Remember the tightrope. You're on a tightrope. You can't afford to go right. You can't afford to go left. It's essential that you maintain your balance. Now look in chapter 22. And Solomon says in verse 3, a prudent man, that word prudent is another word that implies wisdom. So a wise man, a prudent man, notice, foreseeth the evil. And hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. So if we're wise, we're going to be looking, as it were, down the road. We're going to be looking out in front of us. We're going to be looking where, where we're planting our foot. I mean, you know, because why? Because there are consequences to making wrong decisions. So we've got to be very careful as to our orientation if we're going to walk wisely. But look at verse number 16. Here's the second thing we must do to walk wisely. Not only be careful as to our orientation, but capturing every opportunity. Notice what he says. He says, redeeming the time. That word redeem means to purchase. It, it has to do with paying a price for the purpose of setting it free. If you're talking about a slave or an animal, in other words, you'd go down to the slave market and, you know, purchase the slave, and that slave, upon the basis of that payment, could be set free. But here we're talking about Time. We're talking about something being rescued from waste. 
There's two different Greek words translated time. One of those words has to do with the day and the hour. The other refers to the event. In other words, what it is that's being done. So, one of them refers to time. The other refers to the time. You with me? To the time, the event, or whatever it is that's taking place. That's the word he uses here. So whenever he's talking about redeeming the time, he's not talking about what time of day it is. He's talking about the event. And the whole idea is that we capture, as it were, every opportunity, that we take advantage of the opportunities before us. That's what wise people do. That's why over in Psalms 90 and verse 12, where the psalmist says, teach us to number our days. Why? That we might apply our hearts unto wisdom. Now, none of us know exactly how long we've got, do we? But we all know with each passing day, our time here on earth is shorter than it was. And we can, you know, justify our belief that, you know, the average person going to live somewhere around 70 years. And, you know, if by reason of strength God gives you, you know, another 10 years, that'll be wonderful. Uh, but we don't know exactly the time, but we certainly know that the time is getting shorter all of the time. And that's why that the psalmist said, teach us to number our days so we can apply our heart to wisdom. Exactly the same thing that Paul is talking about here. This is the same word that he uses in Galatians 6.10 where he says, As we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men. Same word, exact same word. So he's talking about opportunity, redeeming the opportunity, taking advantage of the opportunities that we have. You stop and think about it, folks. When we waste time, we waste what? We're wasting our life. If I misuse my time, I'm misusing my life. Now, don't, listen, don't go wild with that. Don't misunderstand that. Whenever we talk about using our time wisely, taking advantage of opportunities, by the way, that needs to, in, to include time for rest and relaxation. I mean, God designed us that way. You're not wasting time just because you, let's say, sleep eight hours a night. You're not wasting time. But if you sleep 16 hours every day, you're wasting the opportunities that God is given you. That's why, again, balance is so very important. Walking wisely, walking circumspectly, that we take advantage of the opportunities before us. Now, that's the responsibility, but notice the reason behind the responsibility. He says, let us redeem the time, and now here's the reason, because the days are evil. Now, I don't know who in the world would stand up and deny that. I don't know who would say, well, I just don't believe that. I don't think these are such bad times. I, we all know that the days are evil. By the way, it's been that way ever since the fall of man. And by the way, 
In case you didn't know it, we've been living in the last days since the Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth. I mean, that started, initiated the beginning of the end. And so we've been living in these last days, and we know, according to what the Bible says, that in these last days, evil men and seducers are going to wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So that describes the time that we live in. Now, this morning we, you know, we think about those that are, that are unsaved. Being unsaved, they live under the dominion of Satan. They are blinded to the things of God. I mean, this is natural for them. And if we're going to fulfill our mission, being light in this world, bringing other people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, we have got then to, to do what? We've got to do our work under less than ideal circumstances. We live in a horrible world, but we have an opportunity. We've got a glorious opportunity to serve the Lord. Now, the results are not left to us. Sometimes we get discouraged, you know, because... Well, we don't see anything happen, and boy, I mean, we, and, and believe me, it happens to me. It happens to all of us at some time or another. We want to see more things happen. But the fact of the matter is, we can't change the world. We can't control the world. The one thing that we can do is what? Take advantage of opportunities that we have. And that's why he says, redeem the time. Don't waste the opportunities that God has given us. Capture every opportunity. Be careful as to your orientation. Notice the third thing is here in verse 17, the third thing that's essential if we're going to walk wisely, and that is that we be conscious of our obligations. Notice what he says, Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Be not unwise. That is a fitting climax to what he's just been saying. I mean, this is a, a fitting commencement also, by the way, to what he's about to say. Let me make a suggestion that I think will help anybody. I, I challenge you to take your Bible, a concordance, a pencil, and a pad of paper, and, and go to the book of Proverbs and go all through the book of Proverbs doing a study on the contrast between uh, folly and wisdom. I mean, just draw a line down the middle of the pad and put on one side, you know, folly and the other side wisdom and look at the contrast between the two. That's what that book is all about. Whenever we look at that, it makes us aware of the fact that we have an obligation to walk in wisdom. It just doesn't even make sense to do what some people do. And so he says here that we are to, notice, be not unwise, but the positive side, understanding what the will of God is. Aren't you glad that God's given us the Bible, that we can know the will of God? We don't have to guess about it. We don't have to wander about it. We don't have to depend upon somebody else to get that information. There's absolutely no excuse for us being ignorant as to what the will of God is. Our obligation is expressed or determined by God's expectation. My obligation is based on God's expectation of what He wants in my life. And I know what God expects by simply reading 
His Word. Why is the world so confused today? Well, it's confused because people resist the idea of absolute truth. People resist the idea that, or the belief that the Bible is indeed the Word of God, that it's absolutely true. We've got teachers ridiculing that concept and teaching their pupils that it's ridiculous to believe in uh, absolute truth, that everything is relative. Well, whenever you raise a generation like that, I mean, you know you're headed for trouble. That's where we're at today. The average person out here, the average person I think I could almost say the average professing Christian in America does not even believe there's any such thing as absolute truth. Well, listen, if we don't have absolute truth, then that leaves us without any sure standard of right and wrong. We don't have have any final authority in anything. And so what happens is your idea becomes just as good as my idea and vice versa. It makes no difference because, you know, it it might not be true to somebody else, but if you believe it, that makes it true to you. I, I mean, you know, how messed up is that way of thinking? But that's exactly the way a lot of people think. So the only solution to the world's problem is what? A wholehearted turning to the Word of God. And that's what he says here, understanding what the will of God is. If you do, if you determine in your heart, if you're conscious of your obligation and you're determined the best you can to walk wisely and to do the things that God commands, you're not going to be a part of the majority. You're going to be in the minority. You're not going to be popular. You're not going to be voted, you know, the man of the year in your community or any such thing as that. You're going to be hated and despised as a result of it. And yet that's exactly what we're to do, understanding what the will of God is. I've had people say over and over again, I was talking this morning about marriage and and not being unequally yoked together and so forth. And I've had people say to me, we've prayed about it and we've prayed about it and we've prayed about it and we just know this is God's will for our life. And, and, And you know, it's really tough when you're sitting there in your office and you've got... This starry-eyed couple sitting there looking at you saying, we've been praying about it and we know God wants us to get married. And you have to look across the desk and say to them, you know, I know you feel that way, but let me assure you, that's not true. That's not true. Listen, that's one of the reasons people misunderstand us Christians so very much. I mean, because, they're listen, they're not using the same standard that we're using. Right? They're not using the Word of God. They're not, they're not basing their decisions on the Word of God. It's all relative to them. So we never solve the problem in our society unless we get back to the absolute truth. Well, what does that tell you? Well, I'll tell you what it tells me. It tells me we're not going to solve the problems in our society. We're, listen, we're not going to transform this world. We can't control it. We can't change it. And so I go back to where I was a few minutes ago. We've got to serve God under less than ideal circumstances. Well, somebody says, I, I just, you know, that just doesn't seem fair to me that God would expect us to serve Him, you know, with the world in such a mess that it's in. Uh, 
Well, do you think it was fair when they nailed him to the cross? Do you think it was fair whenever they put, you know, Daniel in the lion's den and the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace? I mean, was that fair? No, it wasn't fair. You see, this is not anything new. Now, the intensity of it is greater today maybe than ever before in some sense of the word, but thank God we live here in America where we're not being persecuted physically for our faith. Thank God for the freedom we have. Listen, if we're wise, we're going to take advantage of that opportunity. Now, there's one more thing I want you to notice, and that's verse number 18. I'm not going to really deal with it because that's going to be the basis of the next message, being filled with the Spirit. But here's the fourth thing that is absolutely essential to walking wisely, and that is we must be continually obedient. Continually obedient. Notice he says that be filled with the Spirit. And that has to do with us living our life under His control. So if I'm going to walk wisely, I have to continually be obedient to the Lord. I am never at liberty to do otherwise. I think of all the people, you know, that just made a mess out of their life. They hurt themselves and they hurt a lot of other people. Why? It all boils down to that one fact that they refuse to let God have control of their life. Their attitude is just exactly like those who said, we will not have this man reign over us. And that's their attitude today. They might not come out and say it in so many words, but their attitude is, nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to do my own thing. And listen, it's heartbreaking, it's sad whenever you know as a Christian how wonderful life can be and you see people that you care deeply about and you see them absolutely ruining their life. I don't like to see my loved ones get hurt. And over the years, I've had to watch it happen to some of my children. I've had to watch it happen uh, to church members that I cared deeply about. And I could see it coming months ahead of time. Uh, on many occasions, I've had conversations. I, I, I got one that come to mind. I sat down with this, actually two people, and, and told them, look, this is going to get ugly. This is going to get bad. And I mean, it was almost with a laugh. <laughs> you don't have anything to worry about. Nothing to worry about. Listen, it hurts when you see people do something so stupid and it's so obvious usually. I mean, you can see it's like a semi coming down the road. You can see it a mile away. And they just go ahead and ignore it until there's a head-on collision and those poor little kids get hurt and other people get hurt and they get hurt. And it, it's all uncalled for because when we know what the will of God is and we yield ourselves to the control of the Holy Spirit, all of that can be avoided. And that's why I keep saying God's will is not just right, it's best. It's, it's not just right, it's not just best. But it's also the safest route anybody can take. We're always safe in the will of God. We really are. Because nothing's going to happen to us unless God allows it to happen. And if He does that, He's going to do it for what? For a good reason. We can never sin successfully. 
A lot of people think they can. They think that they can resist the control of the Holy Spirit in their life. They know what they ought to do. Well, I know that we ought to be in church. I know we ought to be serving the Lord. But, you know, they've always got a list of excuses. But listen, eventually it catches up with them. And rebellion results in a lifetime of misery. Well, by way of review, let's be careful about our orientation. Capture every opportunity that God gives us. Be conscious of our obligation and continually obedient to God. Listen, if we do that, we will have walked wisely. He said, what did he say? Don't be as the fools. Don't walk as fools, but rather walk in wisdom. And it pays, and it pays in a big way. Thinking about that, I go back to Solomon. And here Solomon gives all of this marvelous advice there in Proverbs that we read a little while ago. And, you know, he talks about the fact the wise man's going to ponder the steps that he takes. He's going to, in other words, investigate. He's going to be ever so careful about how he walks. Where did Solomon come up with all of this? I know the Spirit of God, by inspiration, is giving him these words. I understand that. But, I mean, how is it that suddenly Solomon becomes the vehicle that God uses? How is it that he had all of this advice to give out? Experience. You know, we think about Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, and did anybody ever do anything more stupid than Solomon? He did some really dumb stuff. But the fact of the matter is, he learned... He learned through experimentation that, that there's nothing in this world that's going to satisfy and it pays rather to walk in wisdom instead of following after folly. That just does not satisfy. That's what Ecclesiastes is all about. That word satisfaction describes his pursuit. He's looking for something that's going to satisfy That's the very thing that causes people to rebel against God. They're looking for something they believe is going to satisfy the longing of their heart, not knowing they're never going to find that outside the will of God. Walking wisely, and it demands that we live our life continually under the control of the Holy Spirit. Boy, that brings up a ton of things in our life, of areas in our life, countless different ways in which it's going to affect the way that we live if the Holy Spirit is in control. Now, here's the, here's the thing we've got to be careful about. You know, it's real easy for us to look around and say, you know, so-and-so is really out of control. God's not ordering their steps. God's not guiding them. They're not following what God wants them to do. I mean, we can all look around and find people like that. But here's the problem. We see them out of control in one area. And if we're not careful, we're out of control in some area in in our own life. And we've got to be real careful about criticizing others. You know, they're doing this and they're doing that. And we just need to ask ourselves, 
if we're living our life continually under the control of the Holy Spirit. Be ye filled with the Spirit. And we're going to talk about that, Lord willing, next week. Let's all stand together. Father, thank You for giving us Your counsel. Thank You, Heavenly Father, for assuring us of these words of truth that we don't have to depend upon our natural reasoning. We don't have to go to our neighbor. We don't have to go to the institutions of higher learning and gather up all of the fragments of information that's been gathered down through the centuries and, and weed through all of that and depend upon the teaching of man. But rather, we can look directly into the pages of Your Holy Word and have confidence that what we're reading and what we follow is the truth, and to know that the truth sets us free and the truth brings peace and joy, transforming our life in numerous ways. And how thankful we are that You're willing to make Yourself, as it were, available to us, those of us that deserve nothing, and yet in You we find everything. Help us, Lord, to not be stubborn, Help us to not be rebellious. Help us to not be resentful of your requirements, but to yield ourselves without any reservation and to follow your guidance in regards to every area of our life, even in those areas that seem so small and so insignificant. Help us to realize that nothing is small when it comes to our relationship with you and our responsibility toward our neighbor. So may we take advantage of the opportunities that we have while we yet can. In Jesus' name.